Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted today to be joined by Ian Scott and Steve Lister. So Ian is a retail consultant and observer of retail trends, and Steve is a global retail innovator and influencer. Hi guys, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks. Thank you very much. Good, good. So Ian, let, let's start with you. For those that might not be familiar with you, do you want to give us a quick kind of career biog? Certainly. For the last 20 years, I've been working in and around retail, mostly on the creative and supply side. So I've worked with a a number of retail design agencies and uh, got involved in a bit of shopper behaviour work as well. And uh, until July, I was working for TAG, one of the global uh, production agencies, which gave me the opportunity to travel the world and observe uh, shopping habits and, and store design uh, firsthand as well. And now a consultant since July, carrying on with the same sort of activities. Brilliant. And Steve, same for you? Actually, very similar to Ian, to be honest with you. I've been in the industry for about uh, 20 years. My background pretty much is in retail innovation and sustainability. Um, that's where I've been focused the last uh, seven years. I was the Head of Retail Innovation and Retail Performance for Conocomalta Marketing Services, which is now Indicia Worldwide. And I was uh, in charge of looking after the retail clients like Unilever across 29 countries, uh, Heineken uh, 19, Stanley Black & Decker, etc. And really, that was to really look at their client service teams and deliver really new innovations and sustainability. Currently, I'm the Head of uh, Sustainability for Popeye, the uh, Point of Purchase Association across UK and Ireland. And also have my own uh, retail consultancy where I advise global brands and retailers on the future of retail and sustainability in retail. Brilliant. So a wealth of experience between us all, which is good. So looking forward to a good conversation today. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to focus on, I suppose, one question, which maybe leads to another one. So what does the physical retail have to do to bounce back? So we're halfway through lockdown mark two, if that's what you want to call it. And I think the thinking is going towards does that mean we're going to have really our first cyber christmas i think we've we've been edging there with things like cyber monday black friday but clearly the world's been a really strange place in the last nine nine months so if we start with with you ian i know you you guys have both do lots of store tours look at new concepts look at new designs what kind of things do you see retailers now starting to think about maybe born out of lockdown one or just as part of their strategic plans anyway to pull footfall back in to make people really enjoy the experience in store and spend more rather than a default to online? I think one of the biggest challenges that we saw with the first lockdown is when the non-essential stores started to reopen in June, there was a huge amount of communication around safety and PPE. And one of the things I was a little concerned about was that most of the spend was going on on safety communication. And a lot of the brands were not then trying to evolve the store. So the challenge was they were reassuring shoppers it was safe to come in. But when they entered the store, there wasn't so much to actually wow them and get them excited about coming in in the first place. Uh, and I think both Steve and I have found when we've gone around looking at stores, we've spoken to store managers. And what they're saying is that while footfall is down, the conversion and buying rates are very high, which suggests that browsers are not bothering to come into stores, whereas serious shoppers are. So they're coming on on, on proper genuine missions um, and will go through that process to actually buy something they want to buy. So I think one of the biggest challenges is that physical retail has to become incredibly relevant and engaging for shoppers. 
those that are coming in, they need to be wowed. And also what we're seeing is this massive sort of leap towards online, which was inevitable during lockdown, has, has challenged brands to evolve their digital offer. But likewise, the physical offer needs to evolve in the same way and it needs to properly work together. You know, everyone in the marketing and retail trade has been referring to the phrase omnichannel for a long time. Personally, I hate the phrase uh, because it's not relevant to customers. Customers never use the phrase omnichannel. They'll just pick up the phone, visit a website, go to a store, click and collect. And all they want is accessibility to all of the channels so that they can utilize them when they want to. So we're going to see a very fast evolution of how a physical store properly and seamlessly networks into that online offer that has now grown. And as a result, a lot of what the physical store needs to do is less about having a product on a shelf, which is still important, bearing in mind that before lockdown, 83% of retail sales were in a physical store. But it needs to be more about how it combines in the way that shoppers will use their phone and websites and other digital channels to interact with it. So that that's where I see the real growth and the challenge now. Yeah, omni-channel is a really overused word. I'm not really sure if anybody's actually joined it. Ultimately, the customer is the channel and where they where they choose to exactly. shop. You've got to fulfill it from, from whichever angle and whichever way they want to purchase, bring it back, browse, whatever. Steve, anything to add to that in terms of opening statements? Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of what you said there. You know, I, I don't I don't use the word omnichannel because omnichannel is only for agencies and brands to use as a as an internal term. How have you ever have you ever heard your mum, your dad or your friend use the word I'm going to go and omnichannel Christmas this year? You know, it just doesn't happen. But I agree what Ian says. Again, you know, we, we've been very lucky enough that we can be going out and viewing these stores and seeing the changes. And we've sort of acted. And what's been really good, we've had a huge response to these retail tours because we're sort of acting as the eyes and ears for a lot of people in brands and retailers around the world who, who actually can't get out. And we're very fortunate that we can. And we obviously adhere to those the, those different things, you know, and, and different restrictions. But we've seen lots of changes. Yet yeah, there is undoubtedly you know, I'm going to use that word once. This year is actually going to be a, an omni-channel Christmas because people are, go, customers are going to look at all the different ways they're going to fulfill their spending needs this year. And it is going to be spread across all uh, uh, retail touch points, whether it is is online, whether it is, you know, click and collect, whether it is they're just dropping into store to just verify something. And we know that stores have changed from being places to purchase to basically validation points we just know that someone wants to go in and quickly check something is it the right material is it the right spec and then they'll probably then go home and and, and order it online maybe they will look at prices etc but unfortunately as the world opens up again for pre-christmas and obviously this podcast this will be going around the world i mean in the uk we're opening up at the beginning of december What's going to happen with shopping habits in December? Are we all going to rush out? Are we all going to fill stores up with hundreds and thousands of people? I just don't think it's going to happen. I think I think we're going to open things back up again. And there's going to be a very muted, very considered approach to Christmas because people will still be worried about safety. They will be worried about less spending because that's going to impact us. There'll probably be fewer trips to store. But maybe they'll be spending more. And Ian made a really good point of when we have done some of these tours, the actual owners in these stores have said to us, yeah, it's more considered. You know, people are coming in. There's less customers, but we're over budget. And you know what? That is good news. And that's how I think this Christmas will be. 
just picking up on a few points there there's some concern i've been reading on you know the retail press and linkedin etc that some organizations haven't really got the scale to deliver the online operation with the christmas peak so we may end up in a world where like you say we go in we browse we look at the material go home and order it online but there's potential car crash disappointment ahead where people don't get their deliveries in time for christmas oh absolutely we're already hearing that people are placing orders for groceries now online and they're 75th in the queue and you yeah. just think if it's now what's it going to be like in the in the real peak period in the two three weeks running up to christmas i do agree i think there are going to be some very disappointed people however a lot of the insights are actually showing us that people are actually shopping earlier people are actually doing it right now as we speak people are at home ordering and getting things ready for christmas right now so hopefully that spend will not be condensed in the last few weeks of christmas you know leading up to christmas like it has done for many many years i think one of the benefits one of the few benefits of this second lockdown is we sort of understand what's involved because we've been through it before Simon and I were just briefly talking about that before we went on air, you know, that that it's not quite as bad. I mean, for example, I was I was in a and q store yesterday and I said to them, it's a new store. And I said, so how are you going to section off the non-essential areas? You know, it's one of the issues that Tesco got a lot of flack for a few weeks ago in Wales, where they were sectioning off the non-essential areas. And he said, well, actually, we've been told to keep the whole store open. So, yes. you know, yeah. and, and I was trying to buy paint in the first lockdown because I just moved house and it was impossible, whereas now it is open. So so there are certain aspects. I mean, it's only one microcosm, but but there are certain aspects where it's not quite the same. Uh, I think behaviorally we're used to it. You hope that the savvy retailers will have adjusted their online after the massive impact back in March when some of the websites were just drowned with footfall on orders that they couldn't cope so you hope that they've evolved and made it a little slicker and coming back to what steve was saying as well is if we do open everything up again on the 2nd of december and i'm not convinced we will bearing in mind that they've extended furlough to march which is a very specific time frame and i have heard that the office of national statistics are modeling scenarios around lockdown lasting till March. So this is going to be a real challenge. I'm hoping a lot of brands are, you know, fitting out their Christmas windows and getting their Christmas offer ready to open 2nd of December. And again, one of the few benefits of this lockdown is they now have several weeks to get their stores ready, assuming that they will open on the 2nd of December. But as you say, the challenge you have is the whole of Christmas physical shopping is now three weeks and, it, and it's normally busy, you know, November, it starts to build up anyway. But what you've got is this condensed approach, which will squeeze the physical shopping into a smaller space. But as Steve alluded to, who wants to be in a busy store at the moment? So physical retail has been hit both ways. People will be scared to go in in a condensed lead up. Yeah. So the online is it has to be critical. So, you, you know, this will show where brands are thinking sensibly about Christmas and gearing up for online because there will be huge amounts online and there is a danger that some presents won't arrive in time as well. But, you know, we've had seven months of preparing for this, certainly seven months to adjust how online operates and getting the logistics in place as well. So, I, I, you know, I do worry for brands that aren't ready for this because they've had a lot of warning in advance all year. And I don't know about you both. There is if I buy online, I always feel like I'm missing out. There is something magical about going and walking around a shop, having a browse, 
finding something unexpected, maybe speaking to a great colleague as well. For me, it's a lot more binary online. I go to the section I'm looking at, I'll find the, I don't know, Christmas jumper or whatever, and then I'll buy it. I, I lose that browse and treasure mm. hunt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Amazon grew because it, it leveraged convenience and availability. What it didn't do is leverage brand experience and personal contact. Yeah. You know, so many people forget about the behavioral aspect of this. Humans are social creatures. How many of us have gone shopping for the day without a single product in mind? It's just let's go out and have a look. It's it's how places like Westfield have leveraged big shopping centers quite well because there'll be a cinema and there'll be restaurants and there'll be coffee shops and they want you to come and spend the day i saw west westfield did a post oh six months ago about what the shopping mall will look like in 10 years time and it's a leisure center that happens to include shops and it and it is it's trying to tap into that social aspect and i do worry when so many people just sort of say oh the new normal we're all going to be shopping online now and i think that's utter rubbish and I posted just this week uh, an article with Mark Ritson, who is a no-nonsense oh. marketing genius. And he, he in very eloquently and bluntly, with huge smatterings of Anglo-Saxon, <laughs> you know, says this is, this is rubbish. And he doesn't use the word rubbish, you know, because behaviorally we have seen historically, while COVID is unique, having recessions and, and pressures on our spending have been going, you know, there's a 20, 30 year cycle for recessions. We see people reverting back. People will come back to stores. We've seen in, in China and Asia that physical stores um, have have seen a big return of footfall. And there's a wonderful phrase that's been coined in China, which is the revenge shopper. These are people going, finally, I can now get out. And they, in the, with relish, they rush back to restaurants and shops and, and all these places that have been restricted because they need to get their fill. And that's a socially driven Absolutely. aspect, which is behavioral. And people often forget that. Remember how we behave as humans before you just say we're all going to be digital and online and isolated now because it just yeah. doesn't happen like that. Yeah. And we've we've seen that. I mean, if, if you take a look at some of the figures that we've we've seen coming out of if we if we look at the you know the pandemic is of course it's accelerated the shift towards online shopping. We all know that. We all feel it because we all do it. But we know, like Ian said, these brands and retailers have to future proof themselves. They've got to because they know that there's that relentless shift towards it. And if you look at the figures, if we just take a figure from the for the UK now, the UK absolutely was leading the world on online purchasing and online shopping. Back in August 2015, it was about 11.5% of, of sales. We've just seen figures for back end of August saying it's over 26% now. Now, is that going to plateau? Probably will do, because like Ian said, and like Mark Ritson uh, said, you know, I loved his word. He said consumers will snap back into yep. old habits. And you know, there's a lots of consumer behaviorist, you know, consultants saying, you know, habits will be broken after 66 days and then it takes another 66 days to reestablish, you know, new habits. Do you know what? I think a lot of people are fickle and do you know what they will, like Ian said, the revenge shopper will come back. We want to get out. We want to buy something for Christmas. We want to get that little bit of a buzz. But I do think that, you know, unfortunately, the domination of Amazon will continue to dominate us and and will continue to to focus people's to think just you know what i'll just order it online and then they'll just do their top-up shops and maybe their higher end spend but you know the average things that they're going to buy for christmas they will just do it online i i do wonder as well if we will see a situation where 
some people will assume the shops will be quiet and we might get a boost in footfall. I mean, I must admit myself, the, the, the thought of walking into a busy shop in the middle of December fills me with horror, yes. you know, but I, I have kids, so I have to do it. I may well go and visit shops this year because I think they'll be quieter because no one else will be going in. So th th there's a weird sort of reverse psychology there where I might think it will be a more appealing physical shop this year because of the reduced footfall, which may ironically boost footfall. And do you yeah. think that the government will relax Sunday trading? It seems like an obvious one. It's kind of yeah. a bit historic and I don't, I don't yeah. really know why we still allied to it. And, well, and it's, it's a religious pressure, yeah. isn't it? I think there's yeah. certainly not a commercial one. So that, that's one option. You could trade longer hours. I mean, supermarkets have been doing 24 hours over Christmas before, but actually this might be a year where others jump on board because you go shopping late at night because there's few people around. So you spread yeah. the you spread the demand over a longer period. Clearly, there's commercial impact because you've got to keep the lights on, pay the, the colleagues and all that kind of stuff. But the biggest cost is setting the store up in the first place. The running yeah. of it pales into insignificance. So, I mean, and the other interesting thing there is there is temporary work there because you'll need to increase, you know, you need to add another shift of staff, at least one, possibly two shifts of some stores to run 24 hours. So there is a potential to do that. I mean, I, I do think that Boris will relax certain restrictions around Christmas, you know, with, with the lockdown and minimising movement and, and interaction. He may relax it for the week over Christmas because of the, just the sheer popular pressure. Mm -hmm. But it also he, you know, he has made a lot of decisions around commercial viability, not health. He's ignored his health advisors in certain situations to provide support for industry. And I think he may well realise that, you know, Christmas is what bails out so many businesses you know it's, it's not called the, the golden quarter for no yeah. reason so i think it, there, there may well be some considerations you know around it so yeah i would expect a few concessions around christmas the other thing we've seen is lots of organizations move quite quickly in first lockdown to fulfill from store so actually yes. if you've already got colleagues in working night shifts to fulfill from store for click and collect for christmas demand why wouldn't you keep the doors open so i think the smart exactly. ones will be there anyway if that makes sense well yes it, 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 it's funny you should say that because yesterday i did a, a retail tour of the new asda uh, revamp concept up in uh, minworth in the west midlands and that's pretty impressive where asda are now focusing on you know ian was saying about creating malls creating themselves into sort of like more leisure destinations where now you're seeing these large grocery uh, brands now looking to create mini malls inside there. So yesterday I visited because I wanted to see they're opening a new home and baby section, which is interesting. So they, they're focusing on that. But what was really interesting was they're building a McDonald's in there. They've just opened a massive Costa Coffee inside the Asda. But then they've got a new street food uh, uh, section where there's sushi, there's uh, Bamtuk uh, Asian street food, there's fresh pizzas, there's food to go. So all of a sudden, uh, there's there's a Max Spillman in there as well. You know, there's a Decathlon a sports shop in it as well. So all of a sudden, you've got a destination store. And, mm. and very interestingly, you look at someone like Asda looking at that and thinking, do you know what? You could do a lot of majority of your Christmas shopping in there, obviously grocery, but there's also a lot of toys in there, etc. So very, very interesting that they're flexing very quickly. And I think, you know, me and Ian have talked about this a lot. The pandemic has really acted as an accelerant for retail. Mm -hmm. 
things that people were thinking about doing in years have now been developed in months and things that they were going to do in months have now been developed in weeks. So for me, certainly, and I'm not talking for Ian, I love his perspective is I think it's quite exciting as a retail innovator and, and people have worked in this sector for, for a long time to see the speed and the acceleration of some of these retail innovations. It's one of the most exciting times in retail. Maybe not if you're a legacy retailer with 500 stores and long leases and big rates, but certainly, you know, there will be case studies for decades to come around retail yeah. in 2020. And I agree, and uh, you know, what Steve was saying there, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Fearing the end of the world is quite a good motivator too. And yeah. and yeah. we are seeing, we were seeing some, I know just reading on LinkedIn, LinkedIn this morning about a company that was developing AI technology to make click and collect more efficient where people will stay in cars in the car park and they will all, you know, sort out the efficiency and, and the slick operation of maximizing throughput of people. And you, you can sort of see that sort of technology has existed and it suddenly has a focal point. You know, I, I've spoken to a, a couple of technology companies where they're analyzing how to target the retail market, looking at the UK. And there's some really clever ideas here that have sort of existed without a reason for focus. So, you know, we're seeing very simple things like queuing technology. Then, as I say, you know, efficiency around click and collect as well. You know, these retail is one of these prime areas where people cannot afford not to invest in making their shop as efficient as possible. So from a retail innovation observation point of view, like Steve and I have, this is really exciting. And we're seeing the companies that are really responding quickly and cleverly to this. Um, Yesterday, um, a huge new section was built inside this Asda at Minworth, and it was called um, Asda to You. And it was the new parcels collections uh, sector of the store. So I went over to it and had a little look and it was incredible. It was just technology driven. One side of it was where you could return parcels into a Dropbox uh, with a QR code and you could just literally QR code it and drop the parcel in for return. Then had a center section where you could go up and type in collection code or your QR code and the delivery mechanism dropped it and delivered it right into this beautiful sort of like frosted glass area where it just came down and was delivered it for you. But then it also had drop boxes on the right hand side. So where you could go and collect your products from ASOS and other things where you could then go and collect, collect and return. So that technology, which is really at the forefront of retail, is now being installed into Asda grocery stores. So that for me is I look at that and think that's where they're going to create that hub, that reason, that destination to be able to go and pick up and drop off. Oh, by the way, I'll buy some groceries, my Christmas toy shopping as well. Covers two things that have been on my mind for a while, actually. So one is collaboration. So Next, historically, have done it really well. So there's some Next that have got Costas in, Paper Chase. I think a couple have got car showrooms in randomly. Um, There's a whole Lipsy thing. So I think that they've or they've done it pre-COVID in a more structured way. But yeah, yeah all, all those bits you talk around in terms of overspaced areas where you can put a concession in, you can put a different brand in to drive that. Or as you've seen, I don't know if you've been to the Primark in, um, there's the one in Manchester, which has got the coffee shop in from Friends and the, the one in Birmingham. Steve and I were in Birmingham a few weeks ago. We went to visit that store together yeah. and we, we even had a coffee with Mickey Mouse, didn't we, yeah. Steve? We did it. We were real retail geeks. And, you know, you make a really good point there. You know, the, the Primark in Birmingham is the largest Primark in the world. Yeah. Over, what, five, five, six floors. They actually mm. they actually purchased the old shopping centre and converted the whole of this shopping centre into a Primark. So absolutely. Mm. But very interesting point here. Let, let's make this point because you bring up about Primark. 
Primark don't have online sales. No. So in the lockdown, when the world closed, their sales went from X to nothing. Yep. So we talk about this whole thing about, well, online. Online will impact some of these brands. And from what I'm reading in the retail press, Primark are not going to online. So there will no. be some people that will will decide to go online and, and not. And fashion, well, if I just throw another figure at you, Field Agent did a big report about top online gifts this year. Number one is toys. 43% of respondents said they will be buying all of their toys online. 42% said electronics. And thirdly, said their clothing will be bought online for, for gifts. So if you look at the top three, toys, electronics and clothing, well, that's pretty much a lot of what people buy anyway for Christmas. So will you will it shift to online or like we've said, will it be, you know, will it be omni channel? Of course, it will be spread across different different areas. Yeah, I think I think there's going to be some really exciting collaborations. And back to the points around driving innovation, we've seen things like slightly pre lockdown, but again, uh, sped up so in the hospitality industry robot vacuum cleaners are, are kind of part of the norm now certainly for room cleaning in hotels there's a whole wave of this nano cleaning technology which kind of self heals and self cleans which is again pre-covid but absolutely on the on the money and even this week speaking to a couple of guys there's things coming through uh, robot dispensing so for yep. pharmacy items or actually for pop-ups so a robot can carry you know 20,000 plus things in its inventory and you pop it out and it starts to dispense it so it is absolutely unfortunate for some people it's sped up the demise unfortunately I don't think it's caused the demise but for others yeah if you're into retail hospitality a really exciting time because there's so much stuff coming through and so much stuff we've not even thought about. We've seen the rise of the retail robots for many years you know we've seen Lots of different ways that people are using that automation to, to do things. We've seen it with even COVID cleaning. There's robots that have got UV you know, lamps mm. on them, which will go around at night and will cleanse stores. We're seeing in Lowe's in America now, the big DIY chain, You know, there's retail robots that will now pick you up at the front of the store. You type in what you want or you tell it and it leads you right to the aisle mm. or the bay where what you're looking for. In Milton Keynes, you've got the little automated delivery you know, vehicles as well. So there will be a continued rise. Will it have an impact on staff levels? Of course it will, unfortunately. But it, I think it will drive other things as well. I, th I think it will level itself out. But there are some very exciting developments on that whole uh, retail robot side and automation. The staff level one's interesting. And as you know, we do lots of kind of study work around process and people. I think the smart, the smart ones will convert that into focused service time rather Absolutely. than make cuts because we, we've been here before in previous recessions and downturns where you cut to the bottom and you keep on cutting and actually you get to a point where all you're doing is losing sales you're not actually saving cost so I think the smart ones if they remember back maybe 15 years we got to the bottom quite quickly and people kept going and it was a really it's a really poor shopping experience so back to our first points if it's about experience and what how it feels in a store in the the retail theater it's been called over the years that people aspire to you need people to deliver that this is this is one of the key things that comes across all the time you know one of the great examples was when everyone offshored their call centers you know and you had these atrocious experiences of someone with a very strong indian accent who could barely speak english apparently called kevin trying to sort out your problems. And there was a massive backlash because it became impersonal. And the banking sector is another one. You know, we know that retail banks are closing a lot of branches because they're very expensive. 
and the growth of online banking and everyone has an app on their phone now reduces the need. But, I, you know, I shudder with horror when you read about a bank that's gone, we now have a proper digitized, you know, physical store. So there's no human interaction. And if you think about it, you know, we do our day to day banking on an app. Why do we go into a store? Most people go into a, a, a retail branch because the app is not delivered. Either there's a problem or it's something that the app can't deal with. Yeah. And I, I'll go into my branch maybe once a year, but I want to speak to someone. You know, to me, the physical branch is the human interaction point. And so to take people out of that area, I think is fatal. You know, and we're constantly seeing these examples of people cost cutting and dehumanizing interactive points and then learning and coming back again. So you see companies now proudly talking about how their call centers back in the UK, you almost with supermarkets as well. You know, the growth of, of Tesco's and Sainsbury's, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was a convenient one stop shop. So we stopped buying our, from our local corner butcher and our local baker. That's come full cycle now because everyone loves their local corner baker. You know, you yeah. get these cyclical events where you push and dehumanize just a little too far and you get the backlash because customers want that human interaction. You know, we're, we're having it now with bots and algorithms. They are impersonal. And when they're not quite right, they agitate more and they do more damage to a brand's reputation than the cost saving and convenience that the, 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 that automation delivers. So yeah. people have to. And it's, I mean, to be fair, it's, it, there's a fine line because automation is very good, particularly back office area. Very, very useful. But at the point of contact with humans, you have to be really careful because you will just agitate consumers. And they are very vocal now with social media and feedback and trust pilot and other reviews. You cannot afford to agitate oh. your customer because statistically we will tell five times as many people about a bad experience as we do a good one. So you've got to get it balanced right. And the other day, you're, you're right to bring up the Mark Ritson interview. He was very vocal. And there are absolutely studies that show that brands who double down in, in these you know, traumatic times. I won't call this a recession because what we're in is not a recession. And not yet. And <laughs> it's not yet. But, but I, I do still think that this is going to be completely unprecedented. We, we can't model things based upon previous recessions because this is not like a previous recession so I, th I think that's the one thing that will get us out of it let's say because hopefully the furlough scheme around the world i know there's very different ones around the world but hopefully that pete some people a lot of people have been protected from that financially if you can't find in the way the customer in which the customer wants to then i've got to be honest with you shame on you. you we've had enough time to change and people have got to have that you know the, the forefront and the accelerant to say right we've got to make a change if they don't well unfortunately they're going to be the losers in it i agree it's um yeah modeling historically doesn't i think set you up for any benefit in the in what's going to happen in the future in in this instance guys i i think we could carry on talking for ages on this so let's pause it there and if people want to pick up further conversations with either you ian or you steve where's the best place for the them to find you if we start with you ian I would probably say LinkedIn. Um, it's where I'm most visible and where I'm most active as well. So, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to sort of engage further, then come and find me as Ian Scott on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm more than happy to carry on the conversation. There is an email address if people are interested, which is ian, I-A-N, 608-316 at gmail.com. Brilliant. And for you, Steve? 
same as in you know we're finding the LinkedIn platform at the moment is a fantastic platform now for communication so it's just Steve Lister on LinkedIn if you want to follow me on Twitter it's just at Stephen Lister um, and again I've got Instagram as well but you know and if anyone wants to email me direct it's just Steve at stevelister.com brilliant so final question for each of you then everyone gets it who comes on the podcast we'll start with you again Ian what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given Probably the best bit of advice I was given was on my Saturday job when I was doing my A-levels and I worked in an electronic store called Lasky's and I had a wonderful store manager by the name of Bob Dodd and he always used to just say, uh, and it's just something I've always had in sales training as well, you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. He says, listen to what people want and respond accordingly. Wise words. And for you, Steve? Yeah, I had a very, uh, a very um, good mentor of mine. I've had a very lucky enough to have a couple of, of them in my life. One working for Pepsi and as a vice president role. He always said to me, just think like a customer. So for me, never get into this highfalutin agency world of using words and speak because that doesn't that doesn't resonate. Just think like a customer. Brilliant. Yeah, that brings us back to the word omni-channel. So we'll, we'll finish finish on that point. Really, really, really enjoyed this one, guys. Thanks for the chat and we'll catch up soon. Thank really. you very much, Simon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Simon. Take care.